Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies Trek Library. This month our book is Lives of Dax, which is a collection of stories by different authors. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Foley. Hi, hi, how are you, Jen? I'm good. Happy to be back to talk about Star Trek books. So, uh, let's read the summary. Um, I didn't see a summary on the back of the book, but the, but there is one that's on um, Amazon and Goodreads, so I'll just read that. 357 years, nine lives, one soul, mother, father, engineer, ambassador, scientist, statesman, serial killer, Starfleet officer. At one time, Dax has been all of those things and more. The near-immortal part of a composite species known as the Trill. Dax is a sentient, worm-like symbiont, joined body and mind to a succession of humanoid hosts, carrying the memories of each lifetime into the next. Each incarnation is different. Each has its own personality, its own triumphs, its own tragedies, its own dreams. And each one is Dax. Okay, so that that was um, a good summary just to say it's about all the different uh, Dax hosts. And so, of course, we know about, if you watch Deep Space Nine and Star Trek, you know that the, the Trill are a species that are, they are joined. Some of them are joined, which we find out in this book, not all of them. But there's the worm-like creature that is the symbiont that gets put inside a host, and the host is a human-like body. And that symbiont can move from host to host while each um, each time someone is joined with it, they can practically live out a whole lifetime. So the humanoid body dies each time, but the symbiont can die, but apparently it can live a long time in each host. So let's start with uh, the first book. And and this is a framed story. So we have um, Esri Dax, who was the last Dax that we know of on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And so the first story starts with Esri and Vic, the hologram, on on the holosuite on Deep Space Nine. And and this one is called uh, Second Star to the Right, and it's written by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, who also wrote uh, some other Star Trek books. Uh, so what did you think of this first story, Jen? I love this story. Um, well, I'm a big fan of Garfield and Judith Reeves Stevens. I've loved all of their books um, that I've read. I've read um, Federation, Prime Directive, Memory Prime, and the Millennium Trilogy. And and, I've, and I love their writing. I think they're fantastic writers. And I love this story. Um, you know, a lot of people hated Esri or didn't like her because they were sad about uh you know, Jadzia dying, um, and I thought she got a lot of hate, but I, I liked her as a character, and I really liked how they set this frame story with Esri visiting Las Vegas, the desert, and uh, having a chat with Vic Fontaine, because he's another one of my favorite characters, and it 
the conversation between the two of them that leads into her telling the story of how she uh, received the Dax symbiont and then all of the stories of all the previous hosts. To me, it was just perfect. I agree. This was an interesting story. And uh, the, the way the whole book uses uh, this idea of the, the frame, it starts out with Esri talking to Vic, and then she is going to tell him about her previous hosts. And so that explains why we're going to have the next uh, stories, one about each host. That was a good a good way to do this. Okay. And, and just the way, I mean, the story was good. So she, she, so she talks about um, how she got her first symbiote or how... Yeah, yeah, for Esri, how she got the Dax symbiont. Because on the show, it was, it wasn't explained in a lot of detail, but we do know from the show that she was what, she was one of the, um, trills that never really wanted to be joined. She had never intended to be joined. And so it was all a big surprise for her. They had to do it for her just because that they wanted the Dax symbiont to live. And she was the only trill that was around. Yeah, um, that was, that was a great story too, because as you mentioned on the on the series, we really didn't get a whole lot of detail um, about how she received the symbiont. Just that she happened to be the only trill on the ship at the time, and um, you know, the Dax symbiont would die if, if he wasn't uh, given a new host. So to learn the story, it was, and it was a really good story too. Um, you know, taking place during the Dominion War with a lot of action on board and some of the founders uh, posing as crewmates. Um, so it was it was really interesting. And just to get back a little bit uh, to the frame story with Vic Fontaine, one thing I wanted to say is that uh, you don't think, a lot of people don't think of Esri as, you know, her and Vic are having this conversation and she's, He's saying, oh, you know, it must be so easy to be you because you've got all this experience from, you know, all these lived lives. And she's saying to Vic, well, it must be easy to be you because you're just a hologram. And neither of them realizes how difficult it is for the other person until they start to talk about it. And you don't really realize everything. We got a little taste of, of how she was trying to adjust. but But you really get a lot more of, everything that had led up to this and why this has left her in this state of being confused and, you know, a lot more to deal with than probably Jadzia was. We've been preparing for this her whole life. Exactly. And, and it was, it was a great idea to put Isri in that scene, in a scene with Vic. I mean, the, the fact that he was the one that they chose for her to speak to, it, and it may have been just for repercussions down the line because, Later in the novels, she moves off the space station. So, so we know that she's telling someone who probably won't have a chance to tell anyone else. I mean, because he'll be moving on to probably talking to other people on the station. And so, so maybe there is some thinking in putting those two together as far as storyline, but also a bit because they, they actually turned out to be good characters that worked well together having this little heart to heart. Yes, they worked really well together. And I love the setting, which is, um, and I've, forgot the name of it now but it, I looked it up because I thought this is a really interesting setting and it turns out it's a real place in Las Vegas this sort of graveyard for uh, old and broken neon signs and it is a place you can visit out in Las Vegas just out in the desert all these neon signs wow. that is interesting <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, so the next story is about um, the first DAX host, Leela. The name of the story is First Steps, and it's by Christine Catherine Rush. And I don't think I've read any of her stories before. Um, uh, but what did you think about this one? I really like this one, too. I would say, aside from the frame story, I think this was actually my favorite uh, story. Um, I haven't read anything by this author either, but I really, I loved, um, you know, getting to know Layla Dax. I don't know if it's Layla or Leela, but um, I always thought it was Layla, but who knows. Um, But I love getting to know her and to find out about how, you know, Trill the story is about how Trill sort of starts off as this isolationist planet who doesn't really want contact with the outside world. They've had contact with the Vulcans, but um, they don't want to, you know, interact with the Federation or other species. Um, and and Layla is a trained politician, and she sees this as, as not a good thing. Um, and how when these aliens visit Trill... Uh, they're forced to confront their isolationism and she happens to just be there at this particular important moment in history. And I don't know if we can, we're getting into spoilers, but you know, gets to meet an important person. So. Um, yeah, I think spoilers are okay since that's what we've been doing. Okay. So yes, it is interesting how all of these stories um, that they'll bring in characters that we are familiar with through, through Star Trek, so in this case, uh, that they had to pal the Vulcan because oh, and the, and they do say that Vulcans had already made contact with the Trill, but at this time, you know, the, the Trill are isolationist. Um, and and yes, I thought this was a good story too, explaining how they how they used to be, and maybe a little bit about why they decided to change later. But we know that the Trill tried to keep their this the fact that they have symbionts that that's a secret during several of these stories. So and and that's probably part of the reason for their isolationism. They just they don't want anyone to find out uh, what they really are at this time. Yes, um, I think it did explain a lot about why they were isolationist and um, you know how they're at this point hiding the secret of their the fact that some of them are hosts to symbionts. Um, and you really get to see what a great character Layla is. I almost wanted to read more about her life. Um, you know, whereas most of the people on Trill at this time are, you know, looking inward, afraid. She is, you know, looking outward and wanting to explore. And she understands that it'll be better for Trill if they, you know, open up and, and learn new things. And, and she's not afraid. Um, you know, even when these aliens that land, um, may have some hostile intentions, um, that doesn't stop her from feeling like making contact is the right thing. She was a politician who was very different from the others. And, and she was young and inexperienced. I mean, I think everyone knew like this was her first symbiont. So it was like, so, so yeah, they, they were kind of thinking maybe her opinion didn't, didn't count as much. They wanted to, and, and, and since she did turn out to be wrong about the aliens because they attacked the planet. So, but, so she learned a lesson there, but also they all learned from her because they, they did kind of, they did become more open in this story. So she was right in some ways. And, and so that, and that's probably a good start to, um, to, to learning about Dax. 
yes, it was it was interesting how she's she's uh young in age, but also it's her first symbiont, so she doesn't have that wisdom, but yet she still has something to teach some of the older uh members of of the uh parliament or I can't remember the name of the council. Um some of them have had, you know, have symbionts who are several hundred years old, but um as as the man who was her adversary but later works with her tells her, you know, even they have something they can learn from her. So I just thought she was a great character. And the next story is Tobin. The the name of the story is Dead Man's Hand and it's by Jeffrey Lang. And so in this one we have the the host that was an engineer. And uh, what did you think about this one? I like this story too. Um, Tobin was an interesting character because he's, uh, you know, he's brilliant, a brilliant scientist, but yet um, very nervous. Uh, He kind of reminded me of Barkley from The Next Generation, just sort of socially inept. Um, So it kind of makes you wonder how he was chosen to to be a host. Um, And I guess what I like the most about the story uh, was that he, you know, gets to team up with Scon. Um, you know, on the one hand, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, so is, you know, is he going to meet, in, is every uh, host going to meet a different famous person from Star Trek history? So it's, it was a little cliched, but still it was a great story with him and Scon teaming up. Yes, and Scon, as we know, is the father of Sarek, Spock's grandfather. Not that they said it in the book, but some of us remember the name as you did. So, um, so I thought it was cool that, yeah, that a lot of these stores are using familiar characters. And, um, the fact that Tobin did card tricks, that was funny. I mean, even though, the, even though he is supposed to be sort of a shy person and this must have been his way of working through things. And, and the fact that he wanted to, to hang around the Vulcan. On, on this ship where the two of them were the only non-humans because they were, they were testing some new technology. But it, it was great to, just to see him like the interaction with the Vulcan and, and the Vulcan just going like, like, you know, not getting the humor, not understanding the card tricks or anything. And, and also, um, the fact that they had Romulans in this story. And, you know, I mean, I really like this story. This one was a good adventure type um you know out on a ship and exploring the unknown and so and so they get invaded by romulans and um and the way that they they thought themselves out of it it was mostly tobin and scon who just who figured out uh what to do so so another great uh showing for the for dax yeah uh, the romulan story was a great one and um i think my favorite part of it was you know uh you know, they keep canon, um, whereas the Romulans are in these, uh, you know, atmospheric suits so that you can't see what they look like because, you know, we don't know that Romulans are related to Vulcans until much later. Um, and so they kept that. But the interesting part is that there's a scene where um, one of the Romulans in his suit is looking at Skan in this puzzled manner and Skan can't figure out why this Romulan is looking at him. So only the reader knows this Romulan's probably looking at Scon thinking, how is, you know, who is this person that, that looks like me? So that was, that was kind of interesting. That was my favorite uh, scene with Scon and the Romulans there. Yes. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the Romulans at this time are not really supposed to know what, what humans look like or anybody, but they did, 
I think they, well, they did get to see everybody, the, the humans and the Trill and the Vulcan, but, the, but they don't know who everyone is yet. Yeah. And I guess they never said on the original series or Enterprise that the Romulans didn't know what they looked like, just that the Federation didn't know what the Romulans looked like. So they, they were able to keep that part because we, you know, we never learned or, you know, Scon and, and, uh, Tobin, they don't learn that, you know, what the Romulans look like. They, they just know they're humanoid and that's it. So. And then the next story we have is Emini. It's called Old Souls, and it's by Michael Jan Friedman. And, of course, we know he's written a lot of Star Trek books. So so the um, the host, Emini, was actually mentioned, I mean, I mean, you know, mentioned on Deep Space Nine, but it was said in the episode Trials and Tribulations that Emini had met Dr. McCoy because he is he's prominent in this story. Uh, what did you think of this one? I didn't like this one as much, um, mostly because this was the first one, and there is another one later, but this was the first one that's not told from the perspective of Dax himself or herself. Um, this is from McCoy's point of view, and I kind of felt cheated. Like, I wanted to see, to learn about Emini from her, um, and this is all just based on Dr. McCoy, uh, you know, meeting Emini, as mentioned in Trials and Tribulations. He meets her at a gymnastics meet when he, when he's in college and he has a, a fling with her. Um, and the story itself, it just, I don't know, maybe it just a little romance, but it didn't really spark my interest that much. Um, I enjoyed the story. I think it's kind of, you know, it's, it's there to be a change of pace and, and, you know, because they wanted all of these stories to be different. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. I guess one book that just had this story wouldn't be much, but because this was, part of several stories. I, I thought it was okay to, to break up the uh, the action of all the others. Um, and this one did have a good, you know, like a murder in it to keep it an action story too. And, and now now the part about Emini and McCoy, um, their relationship, th- that was okay. Mm, maybe it was a little too soon for them to just jump into something like that. Maybe, you know, it does kind of feel like, like why would they have, done that not really knowing each other that well like only for what a day when they had a relationship yeah that's kind of what i meant about the story this the relationship felt like uh you know just it was basically like a one-night stand and the other thing is she tells him that you know at that time it's still a secret that that trill hosts symbionts and that she has a symbiont but yet she tells him even though it's like against you know she's supposedly forbidden from doing it and i kind of thought Really, you know, she's got she has a one night stand with a guy and tells him this secret that she's forbidden. Like it, it didn't work for me. If they had been in like a long relationship, you know, I could see her telling him, but it was like someone she had just met, so that that part didn't work for me. Yeah, telling some yeah telling a big secret to someone she just met. Um, yeah. it, it must have been. The, I mean, that's how much she trusted him because I because McCoy is the kind of person that you when you meet him you can tell that he's. That he's open and honest, but but I do see where you're coming from. And, and another thing was that this book. It, so McCoy did not know at this time that he wanted to be a doctor, but by the end of the story, it was when he decided that he that he wanted to do that, that he wanted to save lives. Yeah, that was a neat little twist. Uh, you know, making that having him make that realization. Although I don't I don't know that that's in canon because I I feel like. Now, it might have been in a novel, and that's not canon. So it might have even been in one of Michael Jan Friedman's novels. But I feel like McCoy had said that he always knew he wanted to be a doctor. But 
Yeah. I mean, I kind of felt like, like people who do become doctors, I think they usually do feel like it's something they always wanted to do. And, and a lot, of course, a lot of kids anyway say that they want to be a doctor when they grow up. But, but I do remember in trials and tribulations that, that, uh, Dax said something like that, that she knew that he would be a surgeon. In other words, like, like he wasn't a surgeon at the time she met him, but she knew that he probably would be because he had the hands of a surgeon. There, there was that comment. <laughs> And so the next one is Aldred. And, oh, and these are going in order um, of the Dax hosts, which, which was good because I could, you know, like before this, I could never really keep them straight in my head. Um, so the next one is Aldred, and the story is Sins of the Mother, and it is by the initials S.D. Perry. And I know that uh, that is a person, a lady who has, has written other Star Trek novels. And so, um, this one has altered, oh yeah, this one actually has Captain Pike in it, which was a surprise. Uh, what did you think of this one? I like this one a lot. Um, I have not written, I have not read anything by S.D. Perry, although I, I know that she has written, I, I believe she wrote some of the, uh, Deep Space Nine relaunch books that I haven't got to yet. But, uh, this was a really good mystery story for me with, uh, um, you know, Dax um, with Captain Pike uh, exploring this comet that uh, has some, they've detected some trill, uh, some biosigns that are similar to tr- some trills. And at the time, Captain Pike and the Federation don't know that this is, you know, a symbiont biosign, and that's why it's only detectable in some trills, because not everyone is joined. Um, so they're going to, you know, find out what exactly is going on uh, with these life signs. And, and I thought it was just a captivating mystery. And this was written like a letter. Um, the whole format is Aldred is writing a letter to her daughter because her daughter is estranged from her, doesn't want to have anything to do with her. So Aldred is like finally coming clean and telling her daughter the reason that, um, that her daughter's father died. And so she's telling this whole story of that they, they had found these other creatures that that um, do have some, they share some DNA with the symbionts. And, and these creatures, which we can tell from reading the story, are from the, the TNG episode Conspiracy, where they had those little parasitic creatures that take over your body. So those creatures are like distant cousins of, of the symbionts. And, and S.D. Perry did write a story later on where she can, like, it, it looked like it was a continuation of this one that takes place on Deep Space Nine that actually does have those, those creatures and it, and it basically ends the story of those creatures. But that, that's another book. I just wanted to say that happened. <laughs> I did not know that. I will have to check that out. Yeah, I think um, it was, uh, it was Unity by S.D. Perry. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, I don't know. The letter format to me didn't, probably work as much, but you kind of forget that it's a letter format because it starts out like a letter, you know, just like you write to anyone. But then of course it's getting into this description that's, you know, like you're reading a novel and people don't write letters like they're writing a novel with all this description, you know? So I don't know that it exactly worked as a letter, um, but I still thought it was a, a good story and very interesting. I thought it was a good story and I do like the way they used Pike in it. I mean, right now, 
you know, in Star Trek fandom, we had this Pike mania going on. So just for our listeners, like, hey, Pike is in this. Um, and actually, I think he's treated well. Um, I noticed he's the one who who figured out that, I mean, you know, while, while he was in command of Aldred and her husband, he figured out that um, that they were hiding something. And and like and I saw no signs in this book where where they were showing signs where he could have suspected anything. But but he did. So, I mean, that was cool. They made him a very intelligent uh, character. Yeah, I think that he the author, she did an excellent job with Pike. And I I like Captain Pike stories. um, And this this was definitely a good one if you like Captain Pike stories. Okay, and moving on. So the next story is Tarias. Um, the name of the story is Infinity, and it's by Susan Wright. And, of course, I know that name from other novels. Um, so what did you think of this one? Um, I mean, I liked it, but to me, I think it was the shortest one. Um, and it just felt a little too short. And, you know, the whole, we we know from, and I don't remember the episode, but, of course, we know from Deep Space Nine that Tarias was a pilot who was killed in a shuttle explosion. Um, and that's really all we kind of knew about him. And this is, uh, you know, all building up to the test flight that he takes where he dies. So it's kind of like we already knew, you know, a few senses in, oh, well, he's going to die. So it, it, to me, it didn't, I wish I had gotten more about his personality and not just a short little story about the last day of his life. Yeah, it was a short story and it did seem to end abruptly, but that was... You know, so that was really the point of this one, since we know he died in a shuttle accident. Um, I do like um, having the characters from Star Trek Three. They had, you know, Savick and uh, Captain Styles, and they were working on the transwarp. I mean, that was, you know, a good part of Star Trek lore that they brought into it. Yeah, I I love seeing Savick in there because she's a favorite character of mine, and and I thought it was well done having her in here. Yes, having her, um, she was working on it and, and trying to find a way to, to solve the problem with the fluctuations. You know, she was this scientist type that was trying to help them and figure things out. And just like, as we know, Savick, she was very over eager to get this done. And, and they kind of felt like, well, why are you working so hard on this? Because they felt like, well, you know, the, it's, it's within parameters. So you don't really have to, uh, fix that problem, but she still wanted to. Yeah. And it was a good examination of, of Tarias and, and his wife, too. Um, and, and that part was handled well. They'll, they're left for each other because we do, because Jadzia Dax does run into a, another host of the, of that same symbiont that was Tarias's wife. Right. Yeah. So that was the, the famous, uh, episode on Deep Space Nine. I was just going to say about, uh, Savick, uh, one thing that I like seeing too was, you know, um, we, we know, you know, the reader knows that, that Tarias is going to die. Um, and it's because he's, uh, you know, he's doing this test and Savick is there saying, you know, being logical and saying, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think the shuttle is ready. We need to do more testing and more work on it. And, you know, being not a Vulcan and just sort of anxious to, to get this done and to be the first person to, um, you know, hit the go past warp. Um, he kind of pushes her logic aside and that's what ultimately kills him is that he was, you know, 
in too much of a hurry. So it, it was nice to see that interaction because we see that a lot, you know, with Spock and some of the other Vulcans where they're, you know, and, and the humans and the non-Vulcans don't want to listen to them because they're just eager to, to do what they want to do and not necessarily do what's best because that's kind of tedious. That is true. And so that's how Tarias died in this. So the next story is about Joran, the one that was the uh, Dax host that had been a criminal. So the name of the story is Allegro Ouroboros in D minor. And this one is by S.D. Perry and Robert Simpson. I don't think I know Robert Simpson. Uh, but what did you think of this one? I like this one. Um, of course, you know, we know Duran was a murderer um, and that he was a, a brilliant mu- a musician. Um, but I really liked how the authors sort of combined his passion for music with um, with his insanity. Um, I just thought it was a really great job of getting into his head um, and, and maybe understanding a bit why he did some of these things. Yeah, this one was, this was a really neat story. I like how it was done. Um, so there were these murders, like, like serial murders going on. And it had these two detectives that, you know, trill detectives. I mean, it, you know, it, it read like a detective story, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I love the detective story aspect of it and the character Guard, who is, uh, Guard is the name of the symbiont, um, who, you know, throughout hundreds of years, apparently the guard symbiont has been, in, you know, in various hosts, but always is um, a detective hunting uh, trill, joined trills who have committed murder. That's like his, uh, you know, expertise, having done this for so long. So that was a really fascinating character. And I, I thought I would love to read a book just about that character and, you know, all of the detective work that he's done over the years in, in different hosts. There could be a book just about him, yes, in all his cases. Yeah. Um, and, and it brings up the point that the commission, and he knows about how the Trill Commission or that that um there are so many people that actually could be hosts and they do try to weed it out, but they still they still miss some. And not everybody knows that. I think he's one of the people who knows the secret that, you know, it was revealed on Deep Space Nine that, that more people could actually be a host than, than is led on. Yeah, and it was interesting how we learned that uh, the reason they have him uh, as a detective in cases involving Join Trill is because, I guess there's, you know, they can tell when the, the person committing the crime is joined because they're, uh, you know, the fact that they've lived several lifetimes in different posts, they sometimes they leave behind clues that someone who wasn't joined um, would not. So he's there to try to interpret, you know, is the person doing this because of influence from a past host and, um, you know, what, which past, past hosts are influencing them to do this or that. So that was all really fascinating to me. And also this one got, it got inside the head of Joran and it seemed like he, he he was always thinking about murder or about these, I don't know, th- thoughts that just, just like you would think that a criminal had in his mind. He he was always full of the, these evil thoughts. And that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of rattling to read in the story. But it, 
I mean, it worked for the story, and he was also interested in the little romance with the woman, but but he still was a killer, and, and it was still something that was on his mind a lot. Yeah, it was definitely creepy, um, which I guess Duran was supposed to be. But it did kind of make me wonder, someone who's that obsessed with um, murder, uh, how did they get past the the commission because you know you could see maybe someone got passed and they're not a perfect host or they have flaws but someone who's constantly thinking about murder that kind of was like hmm. yeah how did he yeah. fool them yeah you know unless it was like the joining somehow made him crazy when he wasn't before but yeah that could be yeah it just yeah it wasn't explored but that that's a possibility so the next story is about Curzon. So now we're getting into the ones we're more familiar with. Um, the Curzon story is called The Music Between the Notes. And it's written by Stephen Barnes, who wrote, I know he wrote the novelization for Far Beyond the Stars. Uh, so what did you think of this story? Uh, this story. I like the, the story itself about the different, um, the different alien species that they're meeting. And I thought that was very interesting. I, I again did not like that this was not from Curzon's perspective and, and it was from Cisco's perspective. And also, and not to say the writing was bad. I think the writer did a great job of capturing a young Cisco, but at the time he's just kind of an arrogant jerk. And so I really didn't like reading from his perspective. Cause I was like, ah, oh, you know, he's kind of a jerk. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the story, but I do think it had some flaws. Um, okay, so, so I did like that it had the, the aliens. It, it was a very good, um, creative effort. The, the, um, the aliens that were all on this ship and each one was a part of the ship and the whole ship was the ambassador, uh, that was coming to this space station. I mean, that was, that was interesting. And the, um, the woman, that that was the performer on the station. Her name was Sabbath Nile, and all of the men seemed to be infatuated with her, especially Benjamin Sisko. That was an interesting story, too. Um, and I do like the way it turned out in the end, the way everything came together. Uh, some of the things that seemed a little strange, well, I mean, I think the story kind of ended abruptly. This one could have, it seems like it almost could have been longer, I mean, I know it's already in this book with a lot of stories, but I mean, for this story, it just seemed like it ended too abruptly. It, in the end of it, it had Curzon explaining everything to Cisco, and it was just pages and pages of talk, talk, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Curzon just saying, well, well, they're like, Sabbath is like this, and the, um, that other race, the Batricans are like this, and the other, the Aziz, you know, explaining everything because Cisco didn't understand anything because Cisco was the the young ensign at this time. Yeah, it did end abruptly. And besides the fact that it was from Cisco's point of view, the other thing that I really would have liked to see was a, a bit of a younger Curzon because we hear a lot about him from on Deep Space Nine, but we're hearing about him as an old man. And, you know, he's already had a lot of experience. And so I kind of wanted to know like what made him be the way he is, you know, and this 
from Cisco's perspective is he's already, uh, uh, Curzon at this point is already the very experienced diplomat and that we know from Deep Space Nine. So we didn't really get a new perspective on Curzon. It was just kind of more of the same of what we already knew. Yeah, Curzon was already the wise mentor at this time. And it also ended with with Benjamin wanting to be Curzon's apprentice, which I never quite knew that they had that kind of relationship where they were formally uh, like a mentor and apprentice. I thought it was more like a friendship, but not really something that was agreed upon where, where Curzon would be his mentor. But but in this case, it looks like it, it was where, where Curzon was going to be his mentor from this day forward. Yeah, I also didn't ever get that from the series. I just thought from the series more that they had been friends and maybe Curzon had mentored him just by the fact that he was older and wiser, but not that there was this formal thing. Um, and, and again, I mean, besides meeting Cisco in this chapter, the, the well-known person that we know is, is Admiral Janeway. Um, but this obviously must be Admiral Catherine Janeway's father because she would have, you know, she wouldn't have been an admiral at this time, but it was a nice little, throw in that, oh, Admiral Janeway is, you know, says this or that. So. Right, just saying Admiral Janeway and not, not even giving a first name so that we know which Janeway person it is. And, um, and, and Cal Hudson is in this story. He's a friend of Cisco's that we saw in Deep Space Nine. So that was, you know, a neat, a neat little throw in too. But yes. yeah, I would say definitely probably a good story, but all these were good, but this was not one of the better ones in my opinion. Okay, yeah, I just, I do like the, the originality of it and the way it turned out, but like I said, I did have problems with it. And so the next one we get to is the Jadzia story. It's called Reflections, and it's by L.A. Graff, which, and the book explains it's actually two women. Um, so what did you think about this one? I like this one a lot. Um, it was a mystery again, um, and although there was no detective in it, it sort of read like a, you know, a detective story in a bit where you're trying to find out the mystery of how it is that Jadzia's sister who was unjoined um, became joined and has no memory of it. And, you know, we, we don't know who the symbian is or where it came from. Um, so I like that uh, story uh, part of it, uh, especially because the relationship between Jadzia and her sister was, was, great we don't really get to know much about her family in deep space nine so this was nice i think the show said that she had a sister and maybe it said her name i'm not sure but but yeah this way it was great to see i mean mean, something new about jadzia because what were the writers going to do with this i mean there there are already so many stories about jadzia we know so much about her so so this was good uh showing her sister that we've never seen before and having the the flashback scenes and and I like that it said that she and her sister were only 10 months apart in age and they they looked like twins for a long time but then they reached a point where they when they became young women then they started to look very different Jadzia grew taller and her sister didn't grow as tall so they no longer looked like twins that was just something something interesting to read that 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 threw a different light on on their story together yeah the only thing that I'd say that I didn't, I didn't necessarily like, but I didn't understand was, uh, you know, when we finally learn the, what's happened to Jadzia's sister, not, and we learn, of course, that she didn't steal a symbiont as some people suspected, but that 
she was trying to help the symbiont survive because it had been part of a a black market ring where um you know people could take this drug that would allow them to join and uh, disjoin from the symbiont in a way they couldn't before and so then the symbiont could be passed around to different people who wanted to experience what it was like uh, but the only thing that confused me is they didn't really explain the, the character, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Bethan, B-E-T-H-A-N, um, what motivated him to get involved in this black market symbiont ring. I mean, here he is hosting, he has a symbiont that he's hosting, and it makes you wonder why would someone who, you know, you could see why an unjoined person would do it, but why why did he do it? And then eventually, you know, he ends up being victim to his own crime. So I just didn't feel like that part was explained well. That's true. The the one that the sister had, like the, the symbiont that was in her, that character. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't get to know him as well. That That is true. It it was a very strange story. I mean, I, I liked it, but, but yeah, looking at some of the things... Um, the, uh, now, now, the character of Arad in this story, he was seen on Deep Space Nine. He was the one that stole the Dax symbiont, which only lasted for a day or a few hours. So we, so he's back in this story. He's basically the, the evil person who caused all the, the bad things to happen in the story. Um, he, so he stole someone's identity, like, you know, the guy that was the, the head of the Trill Commission. And, and not only did he take the, the symbiont, but he also somehow had plastic surgery and took the man's face as well. Yeah. That, that was really, that, I don't know, that was weird to me. Yeah, I, that whole part was kind of just confusing and I, I still don't really understand. Uh, and I, this was, book was covered in the Star Trek reading group uh, earlier this year and I had posted about this saying, you know, I didn't really understand the motivation of this uh, character to get involved in, you know, having uh, symbionts removed from their hosts and passed along when, when this is a person who's hosting a symbiont himself and um, other people just all kind of said the same, they agreed and nobody really had a clear understanding of, of that part or the part about the the guy who wanted a symbiont so much that he, you know, had plastic surgery to look like uh, somebody else so he could, you know, pass. Yeah, I think the, the best part of the story was the, the flashbacks with Jadzia and her sister. And, and the good thing about, about having the story in the book is just learning more about her sister. So, so yeah, the, all the other stuff about the stolen symbionts, that's kind of, yeah, not, not gone into as well. It, it may be another thing where this, they maybe should have added a little bit more to the story to have to explain some of these things better. Yeah. And so, um, so that's it. Um, besides, I mean, the book that does have one last chapter again with Esri and, um, and Vic talking again and just sort of summarizing everything. He, Vic is like, wow. So those are all of your, your lives. Yeah. The, I thought the ending was great. Um, back to the frame story and, um, you know, there's this, Esri says at one point, cause she's literally talking about she's, trying to make her way back out of the, the simulation to the city of Las Vegas from where she's at in the desert. And she says, uh, she's, you know, trying to consult which way is West. Um, and she says, now I know which way I'm going. And, and Vic says, I think you always have doll or something like that. And 
not, I don't have the quote in front of me, but uh, it was a great ending with these two characters, um, you know, where Esri kind of realizing she's on, on her way to, uh, you know, on the right way. Yeah, yeah, in, on the right path with her life. So, so, um, overall thoughts of the book then? I thought it was a great book. Um, you know, I didn't like all the stories as much as, as the others, but, um, none of them were bad. They, all the stories were good and some of them were excellent. And, um, it was just fascinating and each story really caught my attention and kept me reading. Um, if I had had the time, I could have just sat down and read it straight through. So I definitely recommend this, um, book, uh, especially Deep Space Nine fans, but even if you're not a big Deep Space Nine fan, just the characters in the story alone, they're just so interesting. I enjoyed the book, too. Um, it, it, it's a great way to learn about Dax. I love all the, like, how the stories were different, how they explained different things, the way they were they were done from a different point of view. So the, the variety is good, and overall, they, they were good stories, even though we talked about yeah, there were some things we would have changed, but but overall, it's another book I would recommend. So, yes, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, and I'd also say the one thing that really is interesting for if you're not a big Deep Space Nine fan, but you're just a you know, Star Trek fan, um, it's just so much of the history of Star Trek because each, you know, Dax has lived for so long that each story took place in a different time period and we really get to know what's happening with the Federation and you know, in the Star Trek world during that time period. And that alone was interesting to just go back in time and, you know, relive some of these uh, time periods. Yes, you kind of get to see the development of, of Federation history as you go along. All right, so thanks a lot, Jen, and that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long, and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu.